Yay, it's the Security Weekly News, and it's episode 329. That number looks auspicious for some reason, but I'm not sure why. Uh, it adds up to 14. Uh, I don't know. Um, who knows? It could be just about anything. I'm Doug White, and it is episode 329 of the Security Weekly News. It's Friday the 29th of September, 2023. Uh, we got NarcBots. Black Tech Zenrat, Chrome, CISO Churn, lots of privacy issues, Aaron Leyland, and more news on this edition of the Security Weekly News. This is a Security Weekly production for security professionals by security professionals. Please visit securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe to subscribe to all the shows on our network. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. Are you constantly thinking about how to keep your enterprise as secure as possible? Get to know Chrome Enterprise, the trusted browser for security-conscious professionals like you. It's ease of use for IT and security teams and added access controls protect the remote, extended, and hybrid workforce, keeping your entire enterprise safe. Don't settle for a browser that compromises your organization. Visit securityweekly.com slash chrome enterprise now to learn more and start protecting your enterprise like never before. Why does multi-factor authentication have to be a pain for users? It doesn't. Beyond Identity is the most secure MFA on the market and the easiest to use. They ensure that every authentication is multi-factor by default with phishing-resistant factors that secure access from the start. Beyond Identity safeguards organizations from breaches, data loss, and fraud by eliminating weak fishable authentication factors like OTP and SMS push codes. Go to securityweekly.com slash beyondidentity to get a free demo. That's securityweekly.com slash beyond identity to get a free demo today all right welcome to security weekly news i'm doug white you know my my amazing premium level crew uh heard us talking about this uh, on a previous show and they went out and got a an actual bottle of uh ai generated soda I, they're probably blurring out the name I, I, no they're not uh this is coke Y3000 is supposed to, it was generated by an AI, has an augmented reality QR code, so they say, and apparently it tastes the way an AI would think the year 3000 would taste, which I imagine would taste a lot like despair and dystopia and maybe like what it tastes like if you like accidentally lick a hobo or something, like in July. I, I don't know what it tastes like. I didn't open I'm afraid to open it because I don't want to unleash the year 3000 on all of us, but... Uh, if you guys send in enough requests, I'll open it and drink it on the next show. But just, you know, it's, it's pretty weird that they, I didn't know it was real. I thought it was just like a funny story on Gizmodo or something, but it was actually real. And, and the amazing crew went out and got one. How about that? All right. Black Tech is a Chinese APT, uh, and they've been infiltrating corporate networks of multinational organizations in the United States and Japan. And uh, they've been apparently targeting uh, Cisco routers primarily. But I know Aaron is going to talk about uh, the, uh, the, the the black tech uh, Cisco iOS firmware stuff uh, in his story today. So I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I'm going to let Aaron share this story with you and explain all the grim details of, of how, how that actually works uh, a little bit. Uh, all right. Wait, hang on. <laughs> I'm, I'm running, my, my teleprompter ran off uh, the screen. So we'll get back to that. Aaron's going to talk about that, uh, blah, 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 black tech, yeah, 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 I got all that good stuff. Uh, and um, 
<laughs> Aaron's Aaron's giving me all kinds of high signs here, so I, I've, I'm I'm worried about it. But um, oh yeah, I'm sorry. That was part of the same story that they were talking about warning people about this. I'm a huge Cisco person, so you know, anytime I see Cisco, I immediately jump on those stories. And uh, when I see Cisco firmware problems, I jump on those stories too. And I actually wrote a lot about it, so I'm having to scroll through all that before I can get to uh, to get to the next story. So you know, just be patient; it'll be fine. It's just why we do this live, right? So it'll be interesting and weird, and we don't just have to start all over. And yeah, oh, I, I did want to say a couple things about routers. Uh, one of the ways they were getting into routers was with with uh, known passwords. And I was going to tell you uh, some of the passwords I have found in the past during audits of routers. Uh, the number one, uh, we, we found one called Don't Tell, which I thought was hysterical, and I added it to my dictionary. Uh, Gandalf is always a favorite. Cisco uh, password and Cisco123 are also ones that we have uncovered in the past. So if you, you can't believe that... Um, in Cisco's training materials that I use, uh, they have upped their game a bit. And instead of just always setting the passwords and everything to Cisco, they started setting it to a little more elaborate version of that. Because I guess some people take the Cisco training and then they think that's what the passwords are supposed to be is Cisco. But anyway, all right, moving right along. Um, Bitwarden is a popular password manager, uh, but it, uh, apparently there's a fake download page that has been being distributed uh, to people and it is a remote access Trojan instead of actually, it's actually still the password manager, but it has a rat inside of it. I mean, it's a pretty easy thing to put together if you think about it a little bit and you really uh, should. And I, the reason I put this story up was you really should remind people and your people about when you go to download software, how easy it is to get misled, to get malware, to get uh, rats and other things, download ransomware, downloaded off of pages, especially pages that are calling you to them and saying you need to do this or whatever. Um, so you got to be really careful. Now, initially, I thought that this was probably some kind of phishing scam, but it turns out it's, it's a little more sophisticated than that. So Malwarebytes discovered that that one version of this Bitwarden executable contains a .NET package that is in the installer, but it's at a site called Bitwarden, Bitwarden, not Bitwarden. So there's an I in there. And I mean, my initial thought was this is some kind of typo squatting puny code type thing, and they're hoping you'll type an I accidentally. And, you know, but I was like, well, I isn't really close to the R or the D on the keyboard. So it seems like you'd get almost nobody with that, you know, and they should have used a T or an E or what have you. But then I figured it out uh, how they were really doing it. Uh, so the malware itself, I'll tell you about it in a minute. The malware is called Zenrat, uh, that they, they named it. And it was published with the Malwarebytes finding in a blog post. And so Zenrat was only targeting Windows users. So they actually detect what kind of operating system you're using when you come to the site. And, you know, so that's, of course, the majority of desktops anyway. But the site, if you had a different operating system, redirected people to a fake page that had a clone of some blog posts about managing passwords using Bitwarden. So the fake site, they said in the article, has been taken down, and I tried to go to it, and it wasn't there. But, I mean, it, what this ends up being, then, is an SEO poisoning attack. So this is, if you're not familiar with those, this is where they try to boost a fake site up in the search rankings so that it comes out really close to the top. And so then, all of a sudden, I got it. I was like, I is the smallest, thinnest little letter 
that doesn't really stand out on the browser line, you know, especially if your eyes aren't great or you have, you know, like a phone or a laptop or whatever, and you can't quite see the whole name the URL. And if you just glanced at it, it doesn't stand out like a big nasty capital W or something. So it made a whole bunch more sense then that they're not expecting you to mistype it. They are just hoping that you won't notice it when you see the link and you think, oh yeah, I want Bitwarden. Here's a site. I'll click the link. So you might want to remind your people about this kind of thing. Uh, you know, give them an extra set of steps whenever you're thinking about downloading a piece of software or an app or anything else. Think twice about it. You know, should I download this and what does the site look like? And yeah, I glanced at it, but is it really what I think it is and so forth? Just like you teach people to hover over the links and so forth. Be sure they're looking at that to make sure it's what they think it is because the padlock may be closed on a site like this. If they've got a valid certificate, even though it's a different site, Wariden instead of Warden, you know, you got that. Google rushed out another patch to Chrome to clear up a zero day that was being exploited by a spyware vendor. Uh, we talked about that earlier, I think on Tuesday, but the update was released this week and patched 10 total vulnerabilities with three of them being highlighted in an advisory from Google. The most dangerous one was described as a heat buffer overflow in VP8 encoding in libvpx. And if you don't know a lot about Chrome, you probably don't know what all that means, but uh, the point is there's a heat buffer overflow in Chrome that people could exploit to get access to it. Uh, the issue was reported by Google Tag, uh, and, and they put it out, and then that was two days before they released a patch. So obviously they thought this was pretty urgent as well. The advisory did not provide many details about any exploits that may have been done with this vulnerability, but TAG re uh, revealed that the problem was being used by a commercial surveillance vendor. And this, of course, came on the heels of that report we mentioned where TAG and Citizen Lab, which is the University of Toronto, uh, reported on a product called Predator, which is a, another commercial spyware, um, you know, a la Pegasus or any of those, that was being that, and that spyware was found on a political opponent of the president of Egypt. And of course, Egypt was identified as being a customer of Predator. So, you know, that may well be how they're doing this. Uh, this was the sixth zero day patch in Chrome this year. And even if you're not a political target, it might be a good time to review your late relationship with your browser and make sure your browser is patched up and current, uh, especially if you're worried about somebody compromising you. I mean, if you're a political target, watch out because there's a lot of this stuff now. Well, if you've ever read The Expanse, and it's worth reading if you've never read it, uh, they always talk about the churn, and, and, and I saw that word in the title of an article, and I went, I wonder what that's about. Uh, I really like The Expanse if, if you've never read it, but it's a whole series of books and short stories and all kinds of stuff, they, and they made a, a series out of it that's actually pretty good, too. The series isn't as good as the books, I hate to tell you. But I really don't, I didn't know what they meant when they said CISO churn, but I was like, well, it sounds like some kind of really nasty porn site or something like, you know, butter making fetishes or Amish butter making fetishes or something like that. Hey, no kink shaming on SWN, but I couldn't resist looking at the CISO churn. Anyway, it did refer to pretty much what I thought it was, which was turnover in CISO, uh, you know, employment. And basically they were talking about, they said the average tenure of a CISO is between 18 to 24 months. Now, I couldn't decide if that was good or bad initially, but they said it was bad. I was like, well, you know, maybe that is bad because just about the time you really get into the job, you pack up and leave. And, you know, it does sound pretty bad. And I mean, uh, I mean, I, I know a lot of you are CISOs, so I'm singing to the celestial choir, but they did have some causes of this. So the number one that they listed was scapegoating. 
and they, you know, they said, well, we got breached because management wouldn't approve your budget for this and we're going to blame the CISO and you get fired. So, you know, that's, that seems like a pretty uh, common thing that I've heard a lot of people complaining about. The second one, and I don't think they were ranked, it was just different ones that they identified. The second one was the lack of board support. Well, we've all been there, right? When you go in and say, wow, you know, the bank is wide open to these kind of our login attacks, and they go, you should never report on that. Oh, we have your dismissal letter here in hand. And, you know, I mean, that's, or, or it's even worse. It's like the work smarter, not harder. You know, we're going to cut your budget by 36%, and you can do more with less. I know you can. And, oh, yeah, our CEO just got a $20 million bonus and a brand new yacht for job well done. But, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and I'm not that bitter, Don. You know, well, maybe I'm, maybe it's a little bitter, you know, if you want the truth. But you know what you did, Don, you do. Because when I worked at that place, it was like working in Wolf of Wall Street or something because it was a trading house, and, yeah, it got pretty ugly. But number three they listed was stress and burnout. <laughs> I mean, really? Imagine that. CISO, stressful. I thought that was the cushiest job around. You just sit on the beach all day. You know, somebody calls and says, hey, what's ransomware? And you go, oh, don't worry about it. You know, that kind of, yeah, right, exactly. But uh, the, another one was concern over personal litigation stemming from breaches. And 48% of the responses listed that. I'm like, wow, that's pretty terrifying. I mean, they, you know, they're going to hold, hold me responsible for that? Yike, personally responsible? Like, uh, do I need insurance now? Like, you know, insurance or something for my CISO job? Like, I never really thought about that, but it's kind of scary. Number four on there was um, you're too good at your job, so somebody hires you away for more money. Like, that's a tough problem to have, but I, I know that's real, right? I mean, I keep waiting on my phone to ring, and people go, wow, we'd like to hire you away from where you work now because you're so great at your job. But anyway, it's an interesting article, uh, and, and I guess my takeaway from it for all of you is take care of your people if you want to keep them because all too often I've consulted on things where we fired the entire or, or all of our IT people quit, you know, because down the road they're paying double what we're paying. What should we do? And it's like, pay, pay more? Like, uh, that'll be $1,500, but pay pay them more, maybe treat them better. Maybe don't have the, C the CEO in here bragging about a yacht he just bought with the company's money and telling them they got to take pay cuts and they're not replacing that other person that quit. Yeah, that kind of fun stuff. So, you know, it's an interesting article. A privacy panel in the U.S. government narrowly recommended that Congress reauthorize Section 702. Um, you may not know what that is. We'll talk about it. Uh, this is a section of uh, some, a lot of, I, I don't, I think this was all passed right after 9-11, but it basically allows the FBI to review electronic communications of citizens, and it's, it's really targeted at foreign nationals. But U.S. citizens get scooped up in that, you know, where they're going, well, we were listening to these two guys talking, and oh, there was an American in the room, you know, and, and then it gets real fishy. So the Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board voted three to two on party lines to support all 10 recommendations in the Section 702 report. They did, however, though, instead of just renewing it like it had been, they tightened a bunch of rules down about how the FBI gets approval. And so now the FBI, and they've always had to do this, but now I guess there's more strictures around it. They have to go to this thing called Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, which is one of these shadowy courtroom things in, in Washington where you go to get subpoenas for spies and warrants on spies and so forth. But now... If the agents want to review a U.S. citizen's electronic communications, they're going to have to go through this court to get that approved. 
Now, in the past, Section 702 allowed for all kinds of warrantless surveillance to collect evidence of a purported crime. So it was kind of one of those, it's coming right for us, you know, kind of things like that's in South Park, if you don't know. But Section 702 is a part of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, which does allow intelligence agencies to surveil foreigners, overseas email, text, phone calls, whatever they want. Very broad powers. But Section 702 was set to expire at the end of this year. And it's a really complicated issue because, I, I mean, I always see both sides of these because I've worked a lot with, with law enforcement. And I know, you know, how when you're trying to go get somebody, it's really difficult to go through all these hoops in order to do it. And you know they're bad and whatever. But it is a complex issue with privacy and so forth. And, you know, national security always being a drum that they're banging on. But it is a big deal. You know, and September 11th was only 18 days ago. And, you know, intel matters. And But how far does it extend? How much will it be abused? Who can do it? When can they do it? Are they watching me right now? Probably. Uh, of course, this is in public, so they can do that all they want. But if you are interested in this kind of privacy stuff, you might want to read up on this or maybe install Signal, right, like today. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I don't know, if that would even help. I think it would, though. A multi-university research group developed a new side channel attack that targets GPUs. Now, when I saw university and university coalition, I immediately thought this is a cool attack, but it's probably going to be really complicated, and yet all that held up. The attack leverages data compression to leak sensitive visual data from the GPU when visiting web pages. So all this ended up hinging around compression algorithms and third-party compression. So it's called GPU.zip attack, and it's conducted by performing, listen to this, a cross-origin SVG filter pixel stealing attack in Chrome browser. <laughs> I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. Uh, but basically what it boiled down to was uh, they were able to detect certain patterns in the pixels in the compression that left a kind of after image. It was, it was pretty interesting. Uh, the vulnerability was disclosed to GPU makers back in March of 2023, but so far none of the makers of GPUs has patched this. Uh, the paper was published at the 45th IEEE Symposium on Security and Privacy, so pretty serious stuff, You know, meaning it's an academic paper. They did their research. They, they've actually proven all this. But basically what they said was that all of to the GPUs, the modern GPUs today, perform software-visible data compression even if they're not being asked to do this. It's just part of the way they work. And the researcher found a way to exploit the compression and was able to leak visual data out of the GPU. And I mean, it really starts to sound like some of those old hard drive electron microscope attacks that we used to hear about. But essentially, they were able to get a username from within a Wikipedia iframe by looking at that kind of shadowy after image of the page that was a result of how the compression worked. And uh, there was another recent attack that was called Hot Pixel Attacks, which was also related. I, I thought it might have something to do with my cat, whose name is Pixel, but and, and there's definitely what we call a hot pixel attack, but you don't want to know what that is. But the attack was able to measure computation time and frequency to figure out the color of a pixel. So maybe combining some of these attacks together is going to lead to something. But the GPU.zip issue impacts pretty much everyone, but... Not all specific cards are affected in the same ways. It seemed like from reading it, and you're welcome to go read it, and you may understand it better than I did, it was a very complicated attack that's kind of in that Tom Cruise hanging on the wires in the vault kind of thing. So it's interesting, yet it's not probably very easy to do. The attack did only work on Chrome. Uh, Firefox and Safari attacks did not work. 
So Intel said in a response to this that the problem was not in their GPU card but in third-party software, and they were referring to the compression software. Uh, websites that deny cross-origin iframe embedding can't be used in this way either. So this is you know, partially a design thing, partially a software thing. It's a very complicated attack and very academic. But if you like those kind of things, like the ones we used to see from Ben Guron University all the time where they're doing all kinds of weird stuff, you might enjoy it. Net neutrality is back. And the whole issue is a big deal. Uh, it may not be as big of a deal as we were all worried about when it first came out. Back in 2014, the, uh, the FCC, which is the Federal Communications Commission in the United States, asked the public for comments in 2014 on how to regulate Internet providers. And they got back more than a million responses, which is a lot for these things. And apparently more than 7,800 of the responses used the F word. I'm not making that up. And I think some of those were mine. But basically, the whole issue comes from whether or not the Internet should be equally available to everyone. So this issue started out about, you know, should it be treated like a public utility? Providers wanted to be able to provide premier channels, premier service, higher paying customers get better bandwidth and all this kind of stuff. And of course, inferior service goes to lower paying customers. And that goes in both directions. So websites and on down. So what it means is that Dr. Chowdown's billionaire steak delivery buys the platinum plan and they get more bandwidth on certain providers than the Red Cross does. And of course, higher paying customers get better service than lower paying customers, which is a fine old capitalist fiefdom model where the peasants get to eat every other Thursday if they work hard enough. And otherwise they starve to death. So too bad, you know, let them eat cake. But in 2015, the FCC decided that everyone, they should force everyone to be treated equally on the internet. But in 2017, the president of the United States repealed this rule with, a, with the old big business makes better decisions than government model. But it's about to be reinstated because we've changed presidents since then, and we've changed parties in the White House since then. So they're going to reinstate this, and they, they said the restrictions are a barrier to entry, meaning that many places only have a single service provider. So the final approval is on the 19th of October. I don't know how I feel about this because there was a time when every single bit was critical, but it may have turned a corner. We have pretty big pipes now coming on the Internet but we do have multiple providers who are not, you know, not even counting Starlink where I live. So I'm not sure of the effect. I don't know if they're if they were throttling certain places. That was what I heard was that they were throttling certain websites that didn't want to pay more money and you know keeping people from getting to them and so forth. So it may be an issue in your locale. You know, I, I'm never a huge fan of of, uh, of you know restriction to entry to the market and so forth. But you might want to keep your eye on it. Well, the only guy I know who can eat four scotch eggs, drink four shots of scotch, put on a tutu, and go to a rave without dying, well, it's the one and only Aaron Leland. Thanks, Dr. Doug. Sorry for being so disruptive today. I feel that I'm, I'm, I've been bad. You have? Well, <laughs> I, I, You're just I, messing I, up your Cisco story. <laughs> oh, it was where you were changing clothes while I was doing my, my news story? <laughs> well, I am wearing this lovely pink sweatshirt from teens that they give me at a conference and i said i'd wear it for them because um i look good in pink you do i, I mean i've <laughs> i've been you know pretty much turned on the whole show so i mean <laughs> well i'm sorry for getting naked but uh, that's it's friday and it's warm here okay so today's article is linked to a second article and maybe even a third but um, hopefully Doug isn't listening. <laughs> I'm on a like one story contract. Um, China APT cracks Cisco firmware in attacks against the US and Japan, as Doug already told us. 
<laughs> probably more eloquently as well. So the Chinese state threat actor named Black Tech, also known as Palmer Warren, Temp Overboard, Circuit Panda and Radio Panda. Um, has been found manipulating Cisco routers to infiltrate multinational organizations in the US and Japan. They replaced the device firmware with their malicious versions to establish persistence and then move from smaller subsidiaries to the headquarters of the targeted entities. Typical AT, APT behavior, to be honest. Um, affected sectors. The targeted organizations span sectors like government, industrial, technology, media, electronics, telecommunication, and even entities supporting the U.S. and Japanese militaries. Pretty cool. So TTPs, tactics, techniques, and procedures. Black Tech's modus operandi includes using 12 custom malware families to breach Windows, Linux, free BSD, OS, and um, utilizing code signing certificates to seem legitimate and constantly updating their malware to evade detection. They um, further employ living off the land tools like Netcat, SSH, and RDP to evade detection, all APT stuff, as we know. Okay, focus on routers. Black Tech specifically targets routers at a smaller remote branches of major organizations. Their unique attack involves performing a downgrade attack where they reinstall an older firmware version, then hot patch this firmware to modify it to memory or in memory even. This enables them to install a malicious bootloader and firmware with a built-in SSH backdoor. So the hackers were observed using a custom firmware backdoor that could be enabled or disabled using specially crafted packets, all APT behavior. They also employ dual-use tools and tactics like disabling router logging to hide their operations. These guys are smart. Um, malware Arsenal, the Chinese APT group, utilizes multiple custom malware families, including Bendy Bear, Biff Rose, BTS Door, Fake Dead, and others. Some of these malwares are even signed with stolen certificates to bypass defenses. Okay, Cisco has a stance on this, as Doug alluded to. Um, Cisco emphasizes that Black Tech did not exploit any vulnerabilities in its products. The main access vector in these attacks often involves stolen or weak administrative credentials. Um, Cisco also clarifies that no Cisco vulnerabilities were exploited. Modern devices have secure boot capabilities and the stolen code signing mentioned are not from Cisco. Okay, advisories. The Joint Cybersecurity Advisory um, provides mitigation steps such as monitoring connections with network devices, reviewing firmware changes, and maintaining proper password hygiene. Good luck. Um, a larger security issue, the problem highlights a deeper issue in edge security, as highlighted by Tom Pace, former Department of Energy head of cyber. And in his opinion, and possibly true, the edge devices like routers often do not receive the same level as monitoring and attention as other devices like laptops and desktops. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, maybe, Tom, maybe. 
Um, Outlook, unless there's significant investment in upgrading the security of such devices or monitoring solutions, similar incidents are expected to occur in the future, signaling a problem that could last us decades. Heartbleed. <laughs> um, anyway, this leads me on to my own personal opinion, and that in most cases, the uh, enemy is already within the wire. They are already within the wire. A broken arrow, if you will, and we need to treat our infrastructure as such. While this involves many technical measures, this is not the only place where we should be putting our attention, which is where it leads on to the Senecan article. I promise they do go together. The NCSC in the UK launches Cyber Incident Exercise Scheme. So they've launched a new initiative to promote incident response exercises among firms. Stuff that I do as a day job. Um, introducing a scheme to certify assured service providers. So CREST and IASME, I don't know how to pronounce that, IASME, um, longtime partners of the NCSC have been chosen as delivery partners for the program. Their role will to be to evaluate organizations' readiness to become assured service providers under the new cyber incident exercising scheme. If anybody wants to set up a business with me on this, just thought of it. Let's go for it. Ping me on LinkedIn or something. I'm up for it. Okay, the NCSC is open to companies of all sizes applying. This is this is cool, actually. Emphasizing inclusivity. <laughs> if I could inclusivity say that word. Um, they are particularly interested in entities that are located in or cater to remote or underrepresented regions, either islands of Scotland, probably, um, <laughs> Wales, Ireland. Additionally, companies that are actively addressing underrepresentation in the cybersecurity workforce are strongly encouraged to apply. Come work with me, I'm Irish. Um, this certification will focus on assessing firms on their ability to conduct two specific types of incident response exercises, standard tabletops, discussion-led, participants discuss roles, responsibilities, activities, decision-making processes for a predefined scenario, or the big boys, the live play sessions, and in these exercises, participants respond in real time to a pre-setting scenario. Um, this type is especially apt for more established organizations. I did loads of these for a FTSE 100 company. Brilliant, really interesting. You should do them. The exercises designed under the initiative are primarily for scenarios impacting individual organizations, not larger crisis <laughs> exercises like national emergencies or events affecting a significant part of the public. The NCSE emphasized the importance of regular exercise sessions. I agree in enhancing an organization's readiness and response mechanism to cyber incidents, advocating that such practices can be transformative in preparing potential threats. Lots of words, but boy, are they good. Okay, I was going to give you information on what I think is a great way to do tabletop exercises. As I said, I've done many, some very big companies. But on this occasion, and just this week, Mandy and Ryan Fry discussed um, cybersecurity tabletop exercises with my good friend and often cyber saviour, Adrian Sanabria. And then um, 
that actually as I was writing this um, I was watching the episode and Lee Neely popped up so two great hosts for the price of one um, for your information this was on ESW332 it's called Making Tabletop Exercises Better and they state if you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons you probably know that a quality of experience depends on how prepared experience and talented the dungeon master is Honestly, loads of loads and loads of good information on this. And if you want to set up a company like me and you're going to contact me, watch that first. We'll be all over it. Anyway, um, it says today we'll talk to the InfoSec DM and um, practitioner extraordinaire Ryan Fried about some of the key elements that separate a good cybersecurity tabletop exercise from a bad one. Literally his day job at Mandate, and he's really good at it. And it's like he's been involved in actual events and he tailors it that way. But anyway, so links to the three articles in the YouTube of the ESW episode in the show notes. Get over there and check it out. Um, sorry, Doug, I promise not to try and steal the show again. <laughs> On that ado, back to you in the studio, Dr. Doug, who I'm sure that we would all like to be our dungeon master. And I have no further comment on that. <laughs> Yeah, I was. I, I had some interesting thoughts on that. I was actually a good dungeon master. I, I used to really be a dungeon master for Dungeons and Dragons teams, and I was pretty good at it. I think I, I I made up funny stories though, so people liked that. I guess it was different. Anyway, you haven't been disruptive. I hardly noticed, but you know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Aaron. And finally. Well, uh-oh, Uber Eats has been deploying food delivery robots in Los Angeles for about a year. Yeah, now we knew that. Well, they're, they're cute little yellow boxes, and, and they brave the mean streets of La La Land to get that order of nachos to your party on time. So they drive on the sidewalk and all this. If you live in L.A., you've probably seen one. Uh, I don't think they have them in New York yet. I haven't seen one anyway. But now people are getting worried that the bots may be used by the police to surveil users. Because the, the company that, that actually makes and contracts out the robots is called Serve Robotics. And apparently, they provided video footage. So the article's a little bit hyperbolic, in my opinion. But they delivered video footage to the city police to assist in an investigation. Now, the footage, well, it was somebody trying to steal the delivery bot. I mean, you know, like, really, I mean, not all delivery bots are like Bender or something, so they can't stomp you. But if you don't get that reference, I'm sorry. But the footage was used to identify the two suspects that were trying this. And I, I think it was Shaggy and Scooby. I, I, I do. But, I mean, this is an issue. But there was a subpoena and such. So I don't think it's a real problem. I think it was a little bit of much ado about nothing. I mean, it certainly could imply issues down the road. Uh, you know, because if the bot's bring a bunch of nachos to your pool party and you're snorting coke off somebody's stomach and the bot's watching, is that a crime? Can they subpoena that? Probably. So, you know, I mean, you might want to be on your best behavior. Kind of like when the guy drops by with a pizza and, you know, everybody puts away all the illegal stuff while the pizza delivery is in process. You know, that kind of thing. Because it is, you know, it's watching. But, I mean, I, I have an artificial view of life in Los Angeles anyway from watching too many movies and visiting my friend who was a filmmaker, which gave me a sort of slanted perspective. But anyway, it was a very interesting story. So, anyway, that's the news. Thanks, Aaron. I will be live at the Millennium Alliance CISO meeting in the Biltmore Hotel in Miami on the 10th and 11th of October. If you're going to be there, be sure and drop by. Otherwise, I'll see you next week on the Security Weekly News.